This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. If you're representing yourself, you have a fool for a client. You need to have that arm's length, especially with an emotional situation like a property sale. If too much emotion is brought into the, the process, sometimes common sense goes out the door. That's the voice of David Buttle. He's the Managing Director of Rain and Horn Real Estate in Neutral Bay. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. I'm Michael Momsen and really looking forward to today's chat. So, Michael, the property market is hot right now. There's a lot of discussion about housing affordability, real estate ethics, and honestly, not a lot of people have much faith in real estate agents right now. But Mike, you recently sold your property and had a very different experience, and you were so impressed that you wanted to invite David, your real estate agent, on the podcast. Indeed. Now, just because you know David doesn't mean that we're going to go easy on him today. <laughs> today, you'll learn the secrets that your real estate agent does behind the scenes in order to get you the best price when selling a property. You'll also learn why David is one of the top 100 real estate agents in the country. And we also ask David some tough questions like, how do you manage the tension of getting the best price for the seller whilst also providing an amazing experience to the buyer of a property? And just a heads up, we recorded this interview remotely, so there's a few moments where the audio isn't amazing. So, we kicked off our conversation by asking David to tell us about a great customer experience he's recently had. Yeah, and I'd probably say that uh, a recent dealing I had with a car company, Sydney City Lexus, um, left me feeling really good about the, the service that they provided, about the, uh, the ethics that they brought to the, the whole transaction. And I've subsequently dealt with them on, you know, servicing the vehicle, et cetera. And that customer experience just continues to uh, sort of evolve at a, at a really high rate. Their after-sale service is, is exemplary. It's something that I've taken on board as a, a real estate salesperson and tried to implement in my dealings with clients and customers. Great. Uh, on your website. You've spoken previously, David, about ensuring clients feel like you've given them, quote, top shelf service. I want to ask you, what does top shelf service actually mean to you? When you talk about that quote, I mean, I, you know, many years ago, I came across the, the quote that says, it's not what you say or what you do, it's how you make the customer feel. That's the holistic experience. I like to be realistic with my clients, whether they're vendors, whether they're buyers, um, you know, realistic, deliver on my promises, don't overpromise. Whether it's a buyer or a seller, I want them to walk away from the transaction or the experience feeling like I have added to the experience, whether it's a purchase, whether it's a sale, rather than, you know, me having just been a part of the process. I love that quote. It's about how you make the customer feel. I wonder if you can tell us a bit of a story about, you know, maybe an example of a time that you've kind of gone out of your way to make a customer feel particularly special. It's the little things. You know, I might be selling for a, a client who, who could be interstate or overseas. You know, it's making sure that you, you know, you get to the inspection 10 minutes early, pull the broom out of the cupboard and sweep the courtyard down. I've taken blowers to inspections and blown leaves down driveways and blown leaves into gardens and raked up garden beds, etc. It's making sure that if the client was to walk through the door and to see the way you were presenting their home, they would be absolutely wrapped. Um, mm. yeah, just doing those little extra 10 percenters, 
make the difference because they certainly make the difference to buyers coming through a house. The, the, the trust and the faith that a vendor puts in you is important as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, it's, that's all part of sort of making sure that they feel really good about me having represented their interests. That's really great. What have you heard back from some of your clients after you've gone that extra mile? Any stories that you've heard where they've come back going, wow, like I wasn't expecting that and, and what, what was that type of scenario? A lot of people don't actually realise the, the, the extra little bits that you do. I carry a vacuum cleaner around in the back of my car because wow. a lot of the property, a lot of the property <laughs> we sell is, is vacant. You have three weeks of people, you know, walking in and out of a house, leaves get in, dirt gets in on shoes, etc. Um, and a light-coloured carpet can really start to show the effects uh, after a couple of inspections. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I will go down to a property and vacuum it to make sure that it's ready for the next inspection. Now, you know, a lot of people would turn around and say, oh, well, we'll get a cleaner, we'll, you know, and, and they're, they're, you know, this is all additional expense for the vendor. I'll grab the vacuum cleaner and I'll go down and I'll vacuum it. It's 20 minutes of my life. But I'm not going to come back and make a big song and dance about that to the vendor anyway. Basically, they'll never know. <laughs> often they don't. Sometimes they do. And, and, you know, they're the sort of person that will turn around and tell their friends and they'll say, you wouldn't mm. believe what, you know, what David, my agent, did for, you know, before the inspection. And that's just, you know, that's just good uh, building good rapport with your clients. And, and, you know, hopefully something like that leads to referrals for more business. But if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because I, I feel better about, you know, what I've done to, to assist my client. Mm. And I, I have to jump in with full disclosure. Dave recently sold our place in Sydney. And one of the things that I was really impressed with, and like you said, it's the un. Sometimes the things that you don't know, this one I happen to know, but um, we, we had a bunch of stuff in the storage shed and you're like, oh, no worries, like I can get there before you come visit Sydney and you had bulk cutters and you organized it and then we organized some quarter of the shed we didn't need anymore and we put it to the side. And then Dave says, oh, do you want me to organize, you know, when you guys head back on the plane, do you want me to organize for, for someone to come around, pick it up and take it away? And I was like, what? <laughs> I wasn't expecting a real estate agent to make my life easy for me end to end. And I think uh, that's certainly one personal story that I've had and that they're, the, they're the things that really stand out, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and look, in addition to that, Mike, the things that you don't know um, – you know, True. we twice vacuumed your house for you. Um, <laughs> ah, there you the, go. <laughs> the, the day of the auction, we were down there half an hour early with the leaf blower blowing the back lawn Love for it. all the leaves. So, and, and, and you know what? And, and it, whether it was you or any other client, it wouldn't matter because I sort of stand there thinking, do I want to present this house you know, looking a bit messy or do I really want it to look better? And at the end of the day, that's all reflective in the outcome as well of the sale. So, yeah, mm. look, you know, it's just part of my DNA really. Nice one. You know, the real estate industry, um, some people can even associate it with, you know, a used car sales industry. I'm not even too sure how many young people are aspire to necessarily joining the industry because it has this view of broken promises and over, yeah, over-promising, under-delivering. Why do you think it is that so many agents fail to deliver on that expectations and that is such a sort of ongoing systemic problem in the industry? Well, I think a lot of people feel that they've, they've almost got to be a little bit deceptive or dishonest to start with in order to compete with agents that have a good market share, agents that have been around for a while, mm. that have that already have traction in the market. We see it quite a lot where people will come in and they will make, they'll basically tell a, a property owner what they want to hear. And sometimes it's, it's a long way from the truth. But a lot of property owners, you know, having gone down the path of listing with, you know, any agent, you know, they feel at the end of the whole experience, they feel like they just want to sell the property and they end up taking a bit of a bath and that comes back to the whole question of honesty. 
let's look at it this way. You should be able to rely on the information that your property expert, your real estate agent is giving you. And if anything, if everything goes according to plan, there should be upside rather than there being downside. Too many agents these days say, get the listing at any cost and you'll, you know, you'll condition the client after a, you know, three or four weeks anyway. Whereas I've always sort of adopted the approach that you know, I'd rather be really honest with the client, explain to them why I think their property might be worth X or Y and put in place all the, the mechanics to, to hopefully lead to a better than expected outcome. It's that whole upselling rather than downselling of real estate. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, David, because uh, if, if you're competing in an, in an industry against competitors who are being dishonest and who are misleading people, how do you win? How do you win their business? How do you... Uh, like, it's really hard. Especially if someone's saying they can sell for a higher price, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes you just don't. And, and yeah, that's the frustration of the, of the business because... You know, it's not uncommon that you, you know, you walk away having been told that you've come second and there's no prizes for second place in real estate. Mm. And then you follow the campaign. The client might have said to you, look, you know, you, David, you told me two million, they've told me two and a half million. You know, you follow the campaign and, and four weeks later at auction, you see that it's sold for just over two million dollars. And you sort of think, well, like, you know, who gave you the best advice there? It's a real problem within our industry and and the governing body has tried to address it by bringing in restrictions on how wide a variation of price you can give a client, truth in quoting, et cetera, et cetera. You're always going to miss out on on opportunities because if you take, you know, the stand that I take of trying to be upfront and honest, but a rational person, if they look at your history, they look at your results they listen to the argument that you're giving them and the facts that you're placing in front of them should come to the conclusion that, yeah, the information is, here is, is pretty sound rather than jumping ship and, and sort of just saying, well, you know, I'll go with this agent because they've told me the highest price. Mm. I lose business because of that, but at the end of the day, it's not often that, that you know, my advice has proven to be wrong Sometimes you just completely misread things, but it's very rare. And although you don't end up getting a sale, getting commission, et cetera, et cetera, I still sort of walk away feeling that my integrity has been upheld. One one thing I'd be keen to get your thoughts on is I'm I'm assuming the increasing accountability in the industry. There's websites now in Australia like Rate My Agent, which have become quite popular at the end of the transaction, sort of like at the end of an Uber ride, you you rate the driver and they rate you. Um, You're seeing that. And I believe you have one of the highest ratings, if not in Sydney, potentially Australia. I haven't haven't looked. I don't know if there's a leaderboard that we can see, but but you're you're pretty much off the charts, <laughs> both from a vendor and a, and um, you know the buyer. How important has that been? And are there any examples that come to mind where that level of accountability and reviews are now driving business to you? Is that having an effect? I think in terms of driving business to you, I'm, I'm certainly hopeful that that will be the case. But I'm not sure that there's any one example that I could put down to say that that has got somebody to come to me right. specifically. Look, it, it's important to me, the, you know, especially rate my agent, it's important to me to see that you know, most of my clients and customers have been satisfied and happy with the experience and they've been happy to give me a, a, you know, a high rating. Yeah, you're right. Look, my average rating on the site is, is probably well above average. Quite frankly, I just like it when you know you send out the the request to people and they actually take the time to come back and, and give you a review mm. and 
and to say, yeah, look, you know, whether they're a buyer or, or a seller, to say we're really happy with, you know, with David and, and, and you know, the information that he gave us or the advice that he gave us. And, um, you know, it, it makes you feel confident that further down the track that those people would be happy to come back and engage your services, you know, or tell their family and friends about uh, the, the pleasant experience they had dealing with me, whether it's having sold or bought through me. It's wonderful that there's kind of external validation in the market that what you're personally and what and what your um, agency is doing is resonating with customers. Uh, but I did want to kind of explore this idea of, you know, real estate just in general is kind of off the charts at the moment, both, you know, in the press, but also in terms of prices and, and that kind of thing, particularly in, in Melbourne and also Sydney, where you're based. Uh, and people are almost like unhappy to, to be dealing in that space because it's such a huge investment and there's so many kind of uh, hoops you need to jump through with, you know, mortgages and all that kind of thing. So, like, even though you're doing a great job at what you personally do, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts around just the industry in general. How do people feel about engaging in that marketplace? Young people today feel that they have to get into the real estate market. Uh, they feel that if they're not in the real estate market, they're falling behind. And that's because we've seen such uh, enormous rates of growth in property value over the past two to three years. That's slowing down now. I think, you know, certainly the Sydney market has has plateaued. My concern going forward is that, you know, if 2018 sees banks starting to lift their interest rates, we'll, we'll start to see some mortgage stress come into the market and that will add to a, a further softening of the marketplace. We've also seen a lot of overseas money being invested in, uh, in residential real estate in Sydney and Melbourne. That's disappointing in some sense because it's pricing the next generation out of the marketplace. The size of some mortgages that people are having to take out at the moment is mm. quite staggering. I think it's a shame that property has done what it's done in the last you know, 15 to 20 years and that's really got out of the reach of, of a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, buying a property is probably one of the biggest life decisions that you'll ever make beyond maybe, um, you know, getting married or having children. It's, but it's definitely the biggest financial decision anybody will ever, ever make in your whole life. Do you see some intense emotions from both the buyer and also the seller side? I'm wondering, like, how do you manage people and their expectations and their mood and their emotions? Because you're the conduit, right? How do you manage them when people are at their most vulnerable moment? Well, you, you do see the, the whole raft of emotions in real estate transactions. And uh, some years ago, I was selling my family home, or I wasn't selling it personally, but I, I engaged the, the local agent in the area that we were living in to, to sell the family home. And we were in the throes of buying another property. It was a really sobering experience because it just reminded me of the highs and the lows of what a buyer goes through and what a vendor goes through. As a vendor, I was a very particular vendor because um, <laughs> nothing the agent did was going to be good enough, really. <laughs> I cut them a lot of slack. But, um, you know, I, I sort of had my expectations and I'm thinking, you know, how would I have done it? Um, but it was a really good learning curve because what it did do, it just reinforced to me the you know, that emotional roller coaster that buyers and the sellers go through. As a real estate agent, you know, selling real estate in Sydney, I think unless you've actually gone through the buying process and the selling process yourself and you've been in that pressured and stressed situation, you're not really going to have the empathy with your buyers and, and your sellers. I think you should have. 
Now, you know, in terms of how do you deal with that, keeping clients advised, keeping buyers advised as well and up to date with what's happening and making sure that you have a level playing field and that you're all inclusive with your buyers, that's what helps to set the standard and to set me apart from, you know, from some of my, uh, my competitors. You know, we've had situations where you, you might be selling a property prior to auction, you know, what they classify as a Dutch auction, and, you know, people have got to the end of the process and they've turned around and they've said, look, you know, we can't go any anymore, but thanks for keeping us in the loop, thanks for keeping us advised, thanks for letting us know what was happening at all stages. Mm. You've built up rapport with them and, and, and a really good foundation for maybe, you know, the next property that comes along that might be suitable for them. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that um, a couple of our guests recently on customer experience leaders have said is to actually go through the the purchase process yourself or to go through the support process yourself. You know, like there's that old adage of like the CEO ringing the customer support line and realizing actual things that customers go through, having that empathy. And um, I, I think, you know, empathy is the key word. One thing I do want to ask David is why didn't you sell your house yourself? <laughs> Surely you're the best person to do it. But I, I, I strongly also believe in the old adage that, you know, uh, if you're representing yourself, you have a fool for a client. <laughs> you need to have that arm's length, um, especially with, with an emotional situation like a property sale because if too much emotion is brought into the, the process, sometimes common sense goes out the door. I thought my house was fantastic. You know, of course, <laughs> I'd done a lot to it. I, I could see all the pluses, but yeah, there's always going to be some some negatives with any property. And I think that sometimes vendors don't see that, whereas somebody that's a little bit more removed sees it and sees it straight away and deals with it straight away. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm not an advocate of, of people selling their own properties. David, one thing we like to do is a bit of a quick fire round and Michael and I are going to trade blows. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to answer each of them. So, uh, your time starts at the end of the first question. What irrational fears do you have? Probably my greatest fear would be the fear of failure. Common thing for high achieving people, I think. Yeah, big time. David, what brand do you look up to? McDonald's, Lexus, brands that are, that are uniform and that are the same wherever you go. You know that you're going to get a certain standard, a certain quality associated with that brand. What job did you learn the most at? Oh, look, I've been doing real estate for 35 years. I got into real estate straight out of school, so this is it. Made a lot of mistakes on the way. Every day is a, a learning experience for me. What skills are you most terrible at? Uh, delegation. To my detriment, I like to do everything myself to ensure that it gets done to a certain standard yeah. and if something goes wrong, the buck stops with me. So, yeah, I, I, I see that as a failure of mine but I'm not a delegator. <laughs> if you were to have a dream job, what would it be? Yeah, I always wanted to be a professional footballer Yeah, and I wasn't too bad at football but I just didn't have the... You know, I, I came from a family where, you know, I left school and, and I had to go out and get a job straight away. You know, whether I was ever good enough or not, it was, yeah, I would have loved to have been a professional sportsman. Well, you can pretend that you were good enough and never go through the test. <laughs> well, no, I do know in my dreams, yeah. No, I was pretty good. <laughs> All right, um, we, we, we exceeded 10 seconds there a little bit, so I'm going to be really strict with the next ones and uh, I might have to bring the buzzer out. So, uh, <laughs> what gets you fired up? Dishonesty gets me fired up. Mm. 
knowing that I might have lost business because somebody else has gone in and told a client a fairy tale, uh, it really gets me fired. And rightfully so. Uh, what's your guilty pleasure? Uh, red wine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with all the extra time? I don't like to think like that because I enjoy my sleep. Maybe you still just want to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, think I, still want, I think I still want to sleep. I think I still want to try and get my seven or eight hours sleep at night. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, the hardest lesson you've ever learned? When I was young in my first job and I smashed my boss's car. Ouch. It was a tough lesson because he didn't have insurance. I, oh. I had saved a couple of thousand dollars at that stage and every dollar I had went on getting his car repaired. Big learning curve, that one. <laughs> oh, certainly learnt the value of money as you had to earn to everything yeah. like that <laughs> As a realtor, you have more than one stakeholder. You have the vendor uh, who you're trying to get a good result for from a financial perspective. Um, but you also have a buyer, right, who you're trying to generate rapport with and trust. And uh, their interest is to get the lowest possible price. So, I wanted to ask you a bit of a challenging question. How do you manage or how do you balance the, those two stakeholders who have directly opposing incentives? Your client is always your vendor. It's your vendor that is paying you a commission to sell their property. So, they are always your client. The customer is the buyer. You want the customer to walk away from the transaction feeling that they've been treated honestly, that they've been treated fairly. Yes, they'll always feel like they paid that little bit too much, but three months down the track, they're really wrapped with what they bought, well, most of the time. Um, The primary focus is always on getting the best outcome for the client who is the vendor. But you've just, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're representing the vendor's interests and as long as you've always got their best interest at heart, I don't feel that there's, um, that there's any uh, problem with the way the transaction uh, transpires. Most of my buyers, you know, they come away happy because they come mm. away knowing that, you know, that you've treated them fairly, you've treated them honestly. Yes, you've always been out there trying to get the best price for the vendor, but if they end up with buying a property, there's not too many people that are disappointed, you know, once they get the keys from me and they move in. A fair number of them, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the track, ring me and say, David, we're looking to move on. Would you come down and have a look at our property? Yeah, wow. We talked about delighting or exceeding expectations on the vendor side where, you know, everything from the vacuum cleaner and the boots to the, uh, the bolt cutter to, uh, you know, the blower, the whole, the whole piece. So, what about delighting the buyer? Any stories that maybe come to mind where you've purposely decided, you know what, I really want to delight this buyer or these buyers in this process? And, and what has that been beyond sort of keeping them updated with where they are in the process? You do want your buyers to feel like they've had a great customer experience also. Mm-hmm. Your buyers today, your sellers tomorrow. It could be something simple like it, it might be they want to do a pre-settlement inspection. They're both working. They can't get to a property till, property till 6 o'clock at night. No sweat. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to sort of put in, you know, the extra time to make sure that, that they're comfortable, that they feel really happy with, you know, with the service that you're giving them as, mm-hmm. as a buyer. I've done many appointments on a Sunday. You know, I'll say to people, look, I'm happy to meet you there and do the pre-settlement inspection on a Sunday. I'm saying, as long as you're 
you know, accepting that I'm going to be dressed in casual clothes. I may not have shaved that morning. <laughs> it's, it's, my, it's my day off. But I'm happy yeah. to give you half an hour of my wow. day off to facilitate this happening for you. Somebody wants to get quotes done to renovate a, a vacant property be- before they actually settle. So, you know, I'll say to people, if the property's vacant and you want to come back at any stage to get quotes, to have another look, to measure up for your furniture, just give me a call. We'll make it happen. You don't need to do that, and a lot of agents don't do that. They just say, no, you can, that can all wait till after settlement. But I sort of think if a property's sitting there empty, what the heck? It's not as if you can't make half an hour in your day to accommodate people. It's all part of that big picture. I mean, you know, I think most of us give a buyer a gift when they come in and, and pick up the keys at settlement. You know, right. I'll give them a bottle of French champagne and that. But it's the little things that you do before that as mm. well that, that I think make the difference. And, you know, it's not often that where I sell a property that might be vacant, and, and most of them are by the time you've done your marketing. They might sit there vacant for a few weeks. It's not often that I won't be back there at least once or twice with the buyer, with the buyer's family, you know, with a tradesperson just utilising that time so that it's not wasted and that they can start to prepare so that they hit the ground running as soon as settlement uh, takes place and it might be just getting the painter in or it might be getting new carpet laid before their furniture is delivered. Awesome. Yeah, David, it's funny you mentioned, uh, you know, the the bottle of wine. It's a small purchase in the grand scheme of a house purchase, which is many hundreds of thousands of dollars. But why do you do those little gifts, a bottle of French champagne or, or whatever it is, a box of chocolates for a, a new buyer of a house? Because at that point... The deal's closed. There's no benefit um, to to spending that money and to going that extra mile. Maybe the romantic in me sort of can picture them <laughs> going there that night, cracking a bottle of champagne, you know, husband and wife clinking their glasses, celebrating, saying, wow, this is our new home. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just sort of making sure that they feel, you know, that I have acknowledged that they've been an important part of the whole process as well. I love it. Maybe with um, that we can wrap it up with a virtual glass of champagne in our hand. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a virtual clink of the glasses to, uh, to finish up this, uh, this discussion. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Cheers. Thanks very much, Adam. Thanks, Michael. Welcome to The Debrief. Um, mm. Really really interesting chat that we just had with David Buttle. Uh, interesting industry. Real estate is is something that, you know, people feel very passionate about. They have mm. very strong emotions, both positively and negatively. And it was great to kind of get a bit of the inside scoop on, on how one of Australia's top real estate agents, you know, in, in the top 100, uh, thinks about delighting customers. Yeah. What was your um, one or two takeaways from, from that interview? Yeah, you know, I think the thing that stands out so much uh, from David is the way that he focuses on putting himself in the other person's shoes. So, this concept of empathy, this concept of EQ. Yeah. It's really interesting, actually, because I remember reading some um, some research that came out of Harvard Business Review, which had the top business performers, you know, they were sort of going, do they have a good accounting background? Do they have sort of a good creative flair background? Do they have an entrepreneurial background? Like, what were some of the common streaks of those company leaders that performed well in terms of stock growth over a certain number of years. And the number one factor that came top of the list was EQ. So, this this concept of emotional intelligence of having high empathy. So, I think that really, really came through um, with David. So, that was a big, big takeaway for me. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways that actually manifested was um, when he said, it's not what you say or do, it's how you make your customer feel. <laughs> That's a perfect example of that. 
that's a quote that we've we've all kind of heard before, but it kind of resonates yeah. really strongly in this industry when you know um, it, there's such high emotions involved. And you you know you would have heard him talk about you know the kind of highs and lows and seeing people right. at their most vulnerable moment, how to how to kind of approach that. So I really love that. One other thing I uh, I was kind of surprised by was when um, David was talking about how, you know, when I kind of posed the, the challenging question to him about these opposing incentives of buyers and sellers mm-hmm. and uh, and how he treats both um, t- respectfully and equally because the buyers will become your vendors uh, later on. And I, I just thought that was really interesting. And I didn't, you know, he's really thinking about the long game, which I think, you know, not many people in the real estate industry are doing and not many people in any industry are doing really. So, no, that's right. And that actually leads to my second point, which was he wasn't necessarily outcome driven for that initial short term commission. Like that wasn't his end game. That wasn't his focus. He really did see the bigger picture uh, throughout. You know, what, what didn't give him the buzz actually wasn't necessarily getting wired the commission check. And that's not what drove him. It was, you know, I want to build a long term relationship here. And I know that this has rippled effects. In our industry, we talk often about lifetime value. And he basically, without realizing it, is going, this vendor or this buyer has a lifetime value of potentially another one or two real estate um, sales or their network has. And so, therefore, I am really thinking naturally about the bigger picture all the time. Yeah, but what surprised me though is he has this great long-term thinking, but he's still engaging and executing on the micro level. You know, he he carries a vacuum cleaner in his his car, right? Maybe just to sum up, what were your two takeaways? Yes, I think empathy and EQ and really, you know, putting yourself in the other person's shoes as much as possible and then being able to see that bigger picture. So, not necessarily outcome driven for the short term commission, but really having that bigger picture view. Yeah. And for me, it was about that great quote, how you make your customers feel that that kind of real um, emotional level of thinking. And then the second thing I, I really took away was whilst David is, you know, this kind of uh, really successful and, and one of the top rated agents in the country, he still has this humility and, mm. and he's not afraid to, you know, carry around a vacuum cleaner in the back of his car and, and kind of do the, do the work that needs to be done, um, even when his clients may not even realize it. Actually, I found out for the first time on the podcast, you know, we did debriefs <laughs> and he didn't even tell, he didn't even share that with us, yeah, right? So, that's, yeah. that's a really great example of there's no ego there. Well, thanks for listening. I'd love to get your thoughts. Was there anything that jumped out in the episode that uh, resonated with you? Feel free to drop us a line. You can email me directly, michael at ratedapp.com. And you can get me on adam at wavelength.audio. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is a co-production of Rated, the market leader in on-the-spot customer feedback, and Wavelength podcasting, strategy, and execution. This episode was produced by Nick Jones and me, Adam Jaffrey. And it was edited and mixed by Josh Armour from Armour Pod Productions. Our theme music is by Icolix and Peter Cooley. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It makes a really big difference. Coming up next time on Customer Experience Leaders, we speak to the Managing Director of Pandora about why the jewellery brand makes limited edition versions of their bracelet charms. They're used to create a demand, but they're also used to create some exclusivity and some scarcity that drive a sense of urgency. That's next time on Customer Experience Leaders. I'm Adam Jaffrey. Thank you so much for listening. We produce this show every fortnight, so we'll speak to you in two weeks' time.